Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Head to manscaped.com slash house and get 20% off your order and free shipping. Jake Zimmer and Will Tondo, uh, we're getting close to 100, and Rhode Island sports news to start things off. Sad, sad day in Rhode Island sports news. I, I, there's, I was like, you know, what the hell are we going to start the show with? Because I'm always like, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I always just say like, oh, like it's fall, it's summer, it's whatever. It's like, it's a no, sad day. That, it's a bad day in Rhode Island. That's a sad day. Um, you know, I was at the gym today, and trainer comes up to me and goes, "Hey, I know you're big into the basketball stuff. What do you think of uh?" What do you think of the Dunkin' Donuts center sign coming off? I'm like, don't fucking talk to me about that, Chris. This is a very bad day. So let's just put the cards on the table here. Dunkin' Donuts Center, no longer home of the Providence Friars, is the Amica Mutual Pavilion. <laughs> the AMP. I mean, <laughs> I will say the AMP is kind of cool. Like, I can definitely see Fanta being like, the decimals on this amp are ridiculous as like the Friars fans and the Friar faithful are alive. And like, I can definitely see a play on words and like, they can definitely make a cool logo, but how do you go from new England and maybe the nation's leading coffee provider to an insurance company? I know. He's and so I don't know if we're salty because again, I don't want to open up old wounds, but we, do not place in an Amica competition back our senior year for design oh. thinking where we could have used 1500 bucks to pay for our first month's rent. But alas, <laughs> they picked it for a, a friendship garden instead of virtual reality. But again, it's the past. It's the no, past. You're not, you're not bitter. Neither am I. No, that's all good. No, I am bitter because then Paige walked in with a virtual headset being like, Oh, look at what companies are doing for recruiting. It's like, that was our idea four years ago. And they laughed at us. So I don't know. I mean, you've got my brain turning now though, because I can, all right, picture this. It's a Saturday afternoon or night. No, Saturday night. And you've got nothing going on. Maybe you went out and for whatever reason, you know, Providence plays at home. You couldn't get tickets or you couldn't go to the game. You're sitting on your couch, cold beer on the table. You hear the Fox music, da, 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 and all you hear is the amp is absolutely off the charts. The last time Villanova came to Providence, that's what I'm saying. Like it's definitely going to be a good play on words, but I well, my question is, who owns the building? Does the state own the building? And it then is the Rhode Island Convention Center Authority that owns okay. it? So they own the building. But I think the government, the state government owns a slice of that entity. And then the Friars, the P Bruins, any events like le- like our tenants per se? I, I would say they are, if I had to guess, I don't know the breakdown, but they are tenants <clears throat> and they have some sort of equity in the building. It might not be ownership, but it's some equity. So the last time when I believe it was the Marquette game, it actually might've been Villanova too. Um, the roof obviously broke and that, was going to be a pretty penny. And it, they've been saying that for years, that the roof needed some fixing. 
So I don't know how much that is, but clearly Dunkin' Donuts was like, yeah, I'm all set. Well, it's a few million bucks to fix that roof. Because I'm just curious how much this, they haven't released any numbers yet, but what what the cost is to sponsor the building. So, And, and it's it probably would, like a 10-year commitment. Yeah, the first time around, this was $10 million, And actually, I wrote a blog on this last week, I should know. Um, Dunkin' Donuts Center naming rights contract, because it was clearly expressed um okay 2001 the original deal was 8.65 million over 10 years and i think it was re-upped at around 10 million in 2011 not per year just total total so a million a year around a million a year probably more now like i'm sure amico was like yeah we'll cough up like 15 mil we'll see what happens hmm so yeah, I mean, a little over. It's like a million and a half a year. It just wild how it unfolded. Like, obviously, it was public knowledge that the contract was up, and it was kind of like gauging interest on who would bite into it. I mean, Narragansett, the Gansett would have been sick. Obviously, I don't think that was uh, an option. Called Pepsi Gansett. and Coke, like I heard, you know, were battling it out, and Coke would have been made sense because of their distribution right in Providence. Um, but I guess in terms of Rhode Island businesses, that's the biggest, Amica. Well, uh, uh, CBS. CBS, Fidelity, Hasbro. Um, uh, yeah, CVS is what came to mind. Like the CVS Health Arena just makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that rings more than the AMP, but it's still, whatever. It's still early. It's still early, but... Today, they officially took down the signs, long story short, and it was a sad day. It was a bad day in Rhode Island. R.I.P. R.I.P. I mean, it's still going to be called the dunk. Well, just as people call it the Civic Center, we're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. We're going to be walking in there in 20 years like, oh, we're heading to the dunk. Everybody's going to be like, what's dunk? Yeah. That really sucks. Hopefully... New naming rights means a Big East title runs through the amp. <laughs> Maybe. College basketball on the come up. Uh, we are uh, more than two months, like two and a half months away from November 7th. 75 days or so. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Everybody's talking about this NFL countdown stuff. It's even crazier that like we're – like college basketball is within a stone's throw. That's that to me is like, oh shit, it's gonna start getting cold. Yeah. Cause football, you get that period of time. You get like two months, it's really nice weather. But then it's just like Ugh. I, I mean, know. our next episode is gonna be September one, which is just a reminder, obviously, you're listening to this on a Thursday programming change for bbb pod football season's back so we're swapping to thursdays we're swapping to thursdays so we can cover a, f- a full preview of the weekend and then give you some you know closeouts the week of the week prior but i think it'll be good and with all the other content that's being thrown out there a lot of football fan diaries being written and college football some news coming up with that it's a good time to uh, pivot. And of course, Tuesdays were a little crowded. We had a full crew of Tuesday drops with normal guy, lazy eye and small state, big take. So Thursdays are our new day. 
And we'll see if small state big takes follows through on their ambitious claim. that They may, it was floated out. Josh gave his big take the other day. It was, uh, it was, they may evolve into a two drop a week podcast. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're always a fun listen and, you know, having a team of four is definitely nice. And if they dropped twice a week, hell yeah. Oh, more the merrier. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, go check out Small State Big Takes, Normal Guy, Lazy Eye, Wilbur Wonder Boys, uh, cranking some stuff out in the late stages of the baseball season. Uh, so much shit. So much of it. Um, and now we get to talk about beer, which is our wheelhouse, uh, uninterrupted for almost an hour with a guest that's been on our radar for quite some time. I think our last episode, or maybe two episodes ago, we reviewed some beer from this place. Um, Providence Brewing Company, right down the road. Um, this is one of the first breweries, I think you mentioned it later in the show, that you and I went to when we moved here. And this was back in the strip mall, North Prov days of, little oh hole my in God, the wall. where's the bathroom kind of deal. Yeah, little hole in the wall. I remember going there, so we went the first time. I also remember going there um shit was it during covid that they had plot yeah because you had to sit outside yeah um at the tabletops like you couldn't be in there oh um, that's right. i mean honestly like i think compared to how many they can sit now they could probably sit they could probably fit a hundred in this place i would say so and the old place you could probably fit five. Oh, i would say like 15 the bar was it was a bar and like there were like 10 seats at the bar maybe it was very small it was tiny it was a sliver in there um i remember yeah that second time we went i would just remember like i don't really want to go in because it's so crowded because it's it's covid and there's five people in there with masks already and i was like i think we were all feeling it at that point because we just come back from the guild thumbs down i think we got chick-fil-a that day too probably well, that's neither here nor there. Um, Providence Brewing Company is on the come up now, moved into a new location on Sims Ave. We've talked about that a bunch. We talked about uh, their neighbors in Revival quite a bit uh, right over there. Uh, cool area of the city right now, really cool building. Uh, so Efren Hidalgo, who's an old colleague of mine, actually, um, and the assistant brewer, Mark Stone, joined the show. We got to chat with them this week. Yes, we did drink beers at 10 a.m., no, I'm not ashamed of it because it was delicious. Uh, the rest of the day was like, I just, I don't know about you. I was in like a, I couldn't get in the rhythm after putting 8% black lager into my body. So good. So 10 a.m. That was the first thing I had. That was, my stomach was like, oh, fuck you, man. We're doing it was a coffee. Yes, an 8% coffee. Like I was kind of fuzzy walking out of there. Like not fuzzy, but like light. I was light on my feet. And that's that. Um, Let's get into our interview with Efren Hidalgo and Mark Stone from Providence Brewing Company. Hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. With us this week, we are live at Providence Brewing Company, located on 10 Sims Avenue, Unit 110, in the Farm Fresh Rhode Island building. We're joined by two people that we're excited to have on the podcast. It's been a year in the making. It's been some time, but we finally got the sit down. It's Efren Hidalgo and Mark Stone of Providence Brewing Company, the assistant brewer, and of course, the founder, the refounder 
which we'll get into, um, and CEO and brewer of Providence. But gentlemen, welcome to the show. How is everything going? Great. Great. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, I mean, let's kick it off. So, beer has been in your DNA, Efren. Uh, your father distributed beer in Cuba before emigrating to the United States. What was your first memory of craft beer? Um, not with my dad, that's for sure. He, uh, he was a Schlitz fan. Um, but I think for me, it was about 15 years ago. I was at a friend's house, and he, he knew I didn't drink beer. And I didn't really appreciate the flavor of it. Um, obviously, the Schlitz stage really kind of ruined it for me. Um, and he offered me a beer during dinner time, and I tried it, and I really liked it. And at the end of the, the evening, I was asking him, you know, what, what, what brand is this? Who made it? And he told me he did it. And I obviously called him out on, on bullshit, and he's like, no, seriously, I made it. And he showed me um, his equipment in the basement and invited me to brew with him the following weekend. And at that point, I got home. Um, and from there, it's been... Hobby became a, uh, an obsession, a passion, an opportunity, and then a reality. So, you have a very—I uh, feel like there's so many stories of brewers that you know they they quit their jobs right while they're home brewing on the side, um, and you sort of lived both of that for for a while, yeah. right? Uh, Twenty-five years of experience, uh, you know, education from Suffolk and Harvard, um, you know, marketing, web design, UX. Um, all that good stuff. So I think 25 years of corporate experience, maybe over that as well. That's what we've got. Um, but you started this back up in 2013. We'll get to the origins and all yeah. that good stuff later. But started this up in 2013. You kept your full-time job until pretty recently. Yep. How how did that go down? How'd you manage both? So it, it, so in 2013, I was working for Staples Corporate Office in Framingham, and I was still a homebrew. Still, I still am. Um, as a home brewer, you want to have a unique name for your, you know, your brewery, your home brewery. Um, and Ravenswood was taken, obviously, by a winery. And uh, I decided, okay, well, I'm in Providence. Let's be original and call it Providence Brewing Company. Uh, I started the, you know, to set up the, the website for that, uh, just to get the URL and purchase all those things and come up with different approaches on how to, to say Providence Brewing Company, things like that. And I realized in my research that there was a huge, deep history here in the city of Providence um, from back in 1896 from John Hammond. I'm sorry, James Hammond, sorry. Um, and Irish immigrant, and, you know, opened up uh, the American Brewing Company, which is the mural you'll see here on the wall, which later he turned into the Providence Brewing Company, which the building is only two blocks away. Uh, if you're a Rhode Islander, you'll know the Capitol Records and Management Building. That is the uh, original brewery for the Providence Brewing Company. So I took over that brand. I copyrighted the uh, trademarked, I copyrighted the name, um, Providence Brewing Company, Providence Brewing, things like that, and slowly started to kind of map out the financial aspects of what it takes to you know, create and establish an open brewery. Um, you know, I read you know, all the books that were available at the time, 
and for me, the, the 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 quintessential one that really kind of gave me the the step by step process was the Lagunita story. And um, if you haven't read it, that's probably one of the best stories on on how to open a brewery. But more importantly, his process and trials and tribulations on what he went through, which was you know almost like a Forrest Gump story. Um, and and from that point, um, you know, I left. Staples in 2016 and started working at FM Global. Um, and at that point, I realized I had an opportunity to turn the brand, uh, you know, my idea, my hope, my dream into a possible reality. And so I started looking for property in North Providence. Well, looking around in, in Providence, but at that time, everything was pretty damn expensive and not a lot of like, the mill areas were, were developed enough to, to house something. Um, and I came across this great um, mall, 70s uh, concrete structure um, in uh, North Providence and opened up there. Um, and then you know, one thing led to another, COVID, uh, a, uh, what was it? We got uh, evicted and then we found this location here in Providence on Sims Ave inside of Farm Fresh, um, amazing, amazing building um, with incredible neighbors, not only just in the building itself, but on the street. So that's you know, kind of summed up in a, as, as, as short as I can give it to you. No, it's a story that's made for a book and hopefully one day, uh, one day it will, the corporate jump into craft. But before we get into more of Providence, Mark, how did you get yourself into uh, the beer? What was your first craft beer experience and what was your, how, what is your brewing story? Um, so mine's not nearly as exciting or illustrious <laughs> as his. Um, I guess I was a fairly early adopter of craft beer. I mean, I'm old enough to have gone to college in Boston in the early 80s and so first inklings of better beer. Well, I guess my first inklings of better beer were imports, and so um, drinking Newcastle brown ale or Whitbread or things like that that were, you know, Bass Ale, really the only good beers that were on the shelves in those days, and then by the mid-80s starting to be able to drink some craft, some domestically brewed craft beers in and around the Boston area. And, you know, being old enough to remember when the first mass-marketed beers were on the market, when Sam Adams and Pete's Wicked Ale and those things first started to appear on the shelves and being really excited by that. Uh, we worked a beer festival this past weekend at, you know, at Ragged Island in Portsmouth, and I was remarking on the way down there that the first beer festival I'd been to was in 91 um, in San Francisco, so I've been going to them and drinking beer for a long time. I have done some home brewing in the past, but I was really out of it completely. And then I guess about five years ago is when I first came into contact with Efren. And so kind of like a virus. <laughs> Did you have to quarantine after? Yeah, right. Um, you know, in the way you were asking, how did he manage to get the place open while he was still working full-time and all of that, and, you know, it was it was with the help of some other people, and so that was really my early involvement in the business. Uh, you know, I have a small minority stake in the business, but uh, it was through sweat equity and helping get the original location open 
when I first became involved. And that was sort of the extent of my you know, capacity here for a while. And then about just a little over two years ago, the person we had as a full-time brewer moved on. And at that point, Efren offered me the position. Um, and I was hesitant to do it, but uh, you know, I, I took the opportunity. Obviously, it was during COVID. The brew house was closed. So this, the offer came in May of 20, so the brew house was closed. We were doing some canning with Buttonwood so that we could stay open and continue to sell beers to go. And then we finally got reopened uh, under the governor's you know, reopening plan in June of that year. We were able to set up outside and do beers to go. And then, so I believe it was my, my eighth day on the job, so I had given up my career to to work here. And I was the director of a human services agency for developmentally disabled adults, and I gave that up, and we got our eviction notice on my eighth day on the job. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, to, to your earlier question, I was still working a corporate job. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was well <laughs> frightening. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure. We were, we were able to hold on until the end of the year, I think, when the eviction notice came initially. And, and, and I don't want to paint our lab previous landlord with a bad brush. Everyone in the building got evicted, right? He just had different plans for it completely. Um, so it wasn't just us, but we weren't able to renew there. And when the eviction notice came, I think it wanted us out by the end of August. It was like eight or 10 weeks time. Anyway, we were able to hold on through the end of the year, through the end of 20. We served our final guests at that original location over Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and then I spent the month of December breaking the brewery down and putting it four storage units where it stayed for most of 21 until we were able to start bringing it in here and then we got open here on the 8th of January of this year yep. so I guess we've been open just a little over eight months now. And I mean everything does happen for a reason because I remember that the uh, North Prob location we both do and uh, the first time we ever went there was 2019 and you served us, and I, I remember it vividly because it was like, oh, we don't, we were still very early on into craft beer. You're like, well, why don't you just try all of it? And you lined up all the tasters of every single beer. Um, and that was like one of our first uh, craft beer experiences in Providence. And to see how it's grown into this establishment is definitely uh, super special. That mole was something else. It yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it was unique in the sense that it, it served a couple purposes. It gave us an opportunity to really... Um, become familiar with the growing pains of going from a home brewing style to then becoming in this what everyone likes to call pro brew. Um, but it also got us an opportunity to learn each other's styles and build relationships uh, amongst ourselves as staff. Uh, but it also helped us build a, a great little local following because we, we turned it into almost like a, it's like a a speakeasy type of thing that only local within the area knew about it and it, we built that relationship with everybody um, and so let's dive into that though that speakeasy kind of line, yeah right because obviously we talked about the history so 1892 Irish immigrant James Hanley comes yeah. out starts what's known as American Brewing Company yeah. 1896 it becomes Providence Brewing Company yeah. of course and then Prohibition sort of shuts it down and shuts it everything down. 1922 right so so, I mean, obviously, we know where you learned about it, right? It was researching yeah. and trying to find the copyright, but 
it's almost as though what is the current Providence Brewing Company, I mean, it, it seems to embody a lot of the things that the previous one did, from just the yeah. way that you speak about it and branding and things like that. Yeah. So what you know, what were some of those things, or maybe those commonalities that you found from back then yeah. and, uh, you know, to, to now? Well, you gotta you got to look at it. Hanley was an immigrant, Irish-born immigrant, came to this country with uh, as a child and was an entrepreneur from the get-go. He and his brother, uh, you know, started businesses um, both as liquor store owners and distributors. Uh, had their own distillery. They had they opened up multiple breweries in the city. So you've got Hanley's. Um, you've got the American Brewing Company. You've got the Providence Brewing Company. All influential businesses of the era of that time. But the most important part of it was is that they employed the community. They were immigrant-owned. They were innovators in and of their own time. The architect who designed the building, who designed the equipment, A.C. Wagner, um, was an innovator in and of himself. He was an engineer and a master brewer. And to this day, the patent that he held for the mash tun is still a common tool used on in most breweries, 99% of breweries, except for ours, we have uh, um, our own system. But, you know, we embody that, I think we embody that whole sense of community here. The intent really has always been, even from North Providence, that we're part of something. We are not over and above that. We are humble to that. And the, the desire from bringing that same type of feeling that we had in North Providence, where very small, it was very small, very uh, close knit. We knew everybody, and everybody knew who we were. Um, the same thing we wanted to bring here, and in doing so, we tried to bring some of the history that is only two blocks away um, with some of the, the, you know, the, the ephemera from that founder. Um, all of these paintings here, so the the one right above you. Um, you know, and even to the label, and those are all things that I own that I've collected over the years because it is such deep history. Um, to, to, to forget about it would be a, a massive crime, in my mind, to the area, but more importantly to the history of, of James Hanley and A.C. Wagner. Um, so for, for us, it's always been about how do we bring that community, common, you know, closeness into a new, bigger space? Well, I mean, really make it more intimate and, and just make have people feel that they're they're part of it. They can see it. They can interact with us and the equipment if they want to. Um, not while it's in operation, but you know what I mean. That you know, but it's it, it's just the that I feel. side of us to, to just welcome folks in here. Now obviously there was the eviction that you mentioned, but what are the odds that you find a location like Farm Fresh Rhode Island that is really a block and a half, two blocks away from yeah. the namesake of your business? Was that just a coincidence? Was it, you know, all the stars aligned? Like how would you describe finding this location? I, I would say it was serendipitous um, because, you know, Mark and uh, one of our early partners, uh, Don Sanders, were looking at a property on Eight Point Street, I think. Um, 
the, the block of mill right, right next, just down the street from us. Um, and the property manager is someone that Mark knew um, from his days at, uh, at his human services. Yeah, services. And he was showing them the property and, and what came out of it was it was a beautiful space, very, very rustic, very, you know, just very industrial. But it would have required a great deal more financial backing for us to be able to convert it because they were going to put it in. At that point, the, the, the product, uh, the, the site manager said, hey, listen, there is a new building that they're just finishing up right here on the corner of Sims and uh, Kinsley. Why don't you take a look? It's farm fresh. Um, they're looking for small businesses to come in and take over. And that was the introduction for us. And that was back in September of 2000, I think, when that conversation started, because we had just been, uh, it had been almost six months since we had left the old location. Um, and that conversation started in 2000. It took nearly a year, right? Right, yeah. I guess we first, we first started meeting with the Farm Fresh folks here in the latter part of 20. We were still open in North Providence, but we knew we had to close. I think negotiations even started in earnest October and November of 20, and the lease wasn't fully executed until the end of May, almost June of last year, and construction started within a few days after that. So the setting here, too, our camera's only capturing sort of one corner, but I feel like this is very unique for many province area breweries in many respects. So you mentioned intimate, right? Uh, you know, sort of very much an open concept where we're sitting now. You know, how how has the reception been from the community? What sort of things um, have you learned about the, the physical environment, and, and and what's worked like these past these past year or so? Yeah, um, part of it for us has been one of the things that you know early on space out, like I said, I wanted to make sure that we still maintain that sense of intimacy. With that, really what I tried to do was I tried to set it up so that you've got this area here, which is more of a comfort zone. People can sit, relax, not feel rushed. I want comfortable seating so they don't feel like they're, you know, they're in some uh, almost like a dentist office type feel where you're uncomfortable and you really don't want to be the next one up. Um, and, and then obviously the, you know, we have the, the tall bar tables and the smaller tables, but really the, the, the intent has always been that you kind of feel that you are a part of something here. And when folks walk in and they see the comfortable chairs, that really kind of helps us promote that intimacy. Um, but the other aspect of, the, of that closeness is our bar staff. Because at the end of the closing day, it's not me, it's not Mark, it's not Providence Brewing, it's not the facility that people are coming to hang out with, it's my staff. They're coming to sit with them, talk to them, interact. And so they are very just out there and, and very open and happy to meet. I think, I think one of the other really great things about this space, obviously, would have plan is it's super flexible. Um, we either move the furniture around in here constantly to suit whatever events we have in here. So we have live bands, we have DJs, we have folks playing acoustic music, we have 
pop-ups in here selling food. We have drag queens coming in. Right. We have trivia and all kinds of things. And each of those requires configuring the place in a slightly different way. So um, the furniture we have and the way it's set up has allowed us to be flexible and move things around to suit. That's been helpful. What's been the best pop-up now? I've got to ask. What's been the best pop-up? Yeah. I know my favorite is the empanadas. <laughs> Pablo, yeah. Pablo would love to hear that. Yeah. Um, so props to you, Pablo, and your empanadas. The perfect empanada, by the way. Um, I mean, Andy's kitchen. Andy's, yeah, she yeah. sells with us all the time. Um, and she does Filipino food that's really great. And yeah. gets a great response. She so does an incredible job. And I think part of it, too, for her is that it's, it's home-style cooking. So she's bringing part of that intimacy here as well. So she's sharing of her culture, of her background, familiar background. Um, you know, we've got Eric Fontana, which is another great little musical pop-up that we do here. Jason, great DJ, musician. who's another, you know, so we get a lot of good folks coming in. Um, Thrive Cakery, when she was set up here, that was a, a great little, great little piece. Uh, so it's hard to say who is our better of our pop-ups or our vendors, uh, or a pop-up. I think they've all brought something uniquely beautiful to this place. Right on. And before we get into the beer, obviously, the biggest part of a brewery, the beer, um, I want to talk about both of your careers as well. So how was it making the jump from home brewing to this more commercialized brewing? And what advice do you have for home brewers or anybody that's looking to make that career switch into the craft beer? Um, because you both have similar experiences, but also vastly different where it's like, you know, totally I'd love to hear, love to hear from each of your perspectives. Go for it. So, remember, I pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned before, I had certainly done some home brewing and drunk plenty of beer. I understood the basics of how it was made. Um, but at this point in time, I am still... The recipes that I'm brewing are, are Efren's, um, a lot of them dating back to when he was a home brewer, some of them newer recipes scaled up for, for our equipment. And, you know, I had certainly, I was a little hesitant when I got offered the position that I had the skills to be able to do the job. I had certainly never brewed commercially and to jump right in and take over the whole kit and caboodle felt a little daunting. Uh, you know, certainly I had brewed on our system and assisted over the first few years we were open, but I wasn't quite sure I was ready to do that. Um, you know, I, I've told this story to a lot of people over the past couple of years. Um, brewing is like cooking. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that plenty of times. I mean, really, it is cooking. And you can cook at a really, really high level and maybe even be a chef or work in a professional kitchen without being a food scientist. You don't necessarily have to understand the chemical reactions that are taking place in your pans. You just have to master your techniques. You have to know how to be able to saute and braise and poach and do all of the things that you have to do in a professional kitchen. And so 
for me, when I came into this job, I didn't have a deep foundation in those things. I just needed to be able to take our recipes and execute to a really high level and be able to replicate that time and time again. So what I brought to the job more than anything else wasn't a wealth of brewing experience, but it was attention to detail. Um, super detail oriented in everything I do and care about the quality of the product that we put out and that people here have the, the best experience possible. You know, it's great that we're in historical brand. It's great to tie this brewery to the past and to get people thinking about the brewing history of this city, but in a lot of ways, I, that, that doesn't necessarily matter to the average guest who comes in the door, right? You know, historical brand aside, what matters is what we serve them. Um, you know, so the historical piece will only take you so far, and so it really matters to me that what we serve to people is as, is as good as it can possibly be. And so I came at it from that angle, again, without a wealth of academic brewing experience. Um, but all of those things are coming now. I've been doing this for a couple of years, and so I can brew on our system from soup to nuts. You know, I come in, in the, on the days I brew, generally on Tuesdays, but uh, come in, start at 7 in the morning, and it's a 10 or 11 hour day by the time cleanup is finished, but I regularly do that by myself, uh, and, and I can do that, and, and the rest of it is coming, all of the understanding about the chemistry of beer uh, is knowledge that I'm gathering over time, but as I've said to a lot of people, you don't necessarily have to have all that to get into the field. I guess where I got lucky is Efren took a chance on me and offered the position to me knowing that about my background. I don't know that that would happen a lot of other places. So in that regard, I was fortunate for the opportunity. <laughs> I don't know if that up. <laughs> uh, so, so for me, I mean, to Mark's point, the, the chemistry, the, you know, the understanding of understanding the hops, understanding the process, is all part of the learning with uh, and as a home brewer. And as you get closer and closer to, to achieving the goal of opening up your own brewery, you really need to dig deep into those things. Um, understanding your water, understanding the chemistry of the water, understanding how you're going to you know, scale up a recipe from a small 20-gallon batch to something at a level. I mean, our, our, our rig is, is pretty much a, a for, for other larger breweries, it's just a pilot system for them. But for us, it's a hands-on piece and understanding how the equipment works and how the interactions, the chemical reactions are going to occur during the brew and post-brew, during fermentation, um, is, is kind of where I find a lot of the, the pleasure. Um, but I, you know, with, with Mark, like he said, he's, you know, he's learned quite a lot since we've started working together. Um, and he continues to like ask questions and really dig deep into why are we doing it this way? You know, why, are, why aren't we doing a rest here? Why are we doing something that's 
why are we pressure pressure fermenting? Why aren't we lagering uh, like a typical you know, lager beer would take? So all of these questions and all of this uh, learning that you know that I come with uh, you know, from, from my background to his new for, uh, foreground um, has been a wonderful relationship in the beer uh, here within the brewery. But if you're if you're aspiring to open up your own brewery, I think the tough part is always going to be um, the financial aspect of it. You know, it's it's always the toughest part of of how you're going to fund that future, and where is that money going to come from, and how are we going to be profitable? Um, and, and am I going to lose sight of being a craft brewer and now just be commercial? Well, I can tell you as a as a as a brewer that you don't lose sight of being a craft brewer because everything that you put out there is definitely a part of you. You, you really pour over the recipe. You, you know, you really get deep and down into it. And you're, you're constantly worried about when it's fermenting. Why isn't it? You know, why is it lagging? Or hey, I'm getting a little bit too much of a strange aroma or flavor here. Is this infected? Um, and then you know, testing it and you know, doing the, the microscopic sending it out to laboratories to get tested and things like that, you, you really start to appreciate the complexity of what a, at the pro level, you know, at the, at the brewery level, what they're doing and how difficult it is. Because now you're no longer a, a brewer. You are a brewer, a scientist, a, you know, um, a, a, a trouble uh, management. You're, you're looking at from, from multiple angles. Oh, Let's add the fact that, you know, whatever you've calculated in your spreadsheets, you know, it's all, it's all great and, and fine, but the moment you open up those doors, you can kiss that shit right out the window because your spreadsheets mean shit, you know, because there's expenses unexpectedly that show up, you know. You're, you're not taking into consideration that, um, you know, you as a home brewer, you as the owner, you're not taking on a salary. And I can say for a fact, and everything, everything breaks. Yeah, you know, I mean, since since we opened in everything 2018, breaks. I haven't taken a salary, and and but you're right. But everything breaks, and when it breaks, you either have one of two options: you have someone come in and fix it, or you fix it yourself. And it's much cheaper to fix it yourself than to obviously pay for someone else. Um, but then you, again, once again, you really become one with the equipment, and you really understand, you know, the limitations that. You Every time something happens, you're learning something new. Um, you know, we, we've tried to, and I, I'm the first one to admit this, we've tried to, to brew um, our Kolsch three times, and all three times we failed. And, and it's not a difficult beer to, to make, but our equipment really didn't like it, and we suffered for it. And we refused to let it go out. Some people will say, oh, you know, this is a Roush beer. No, it's not a Roush beer. It's a failed experiment. Um, so we, we are very quick to, to admit when we have failed, we are not going to push it out on the public. Um, but it's also an opportunity for us to kind of sit back and failure. We look at it and say, what happened? Where did this go wrong? You know, maybe that, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe that valve shouldn't have been put in the front of the, and uh, maybe it wouldn't have drained out. 
that's that's the, the difference there between a home brewer and a pro. You know, I mean, you're still learning, but you're taking more of a risk. And now you're doing some really innovative stuff here as well that a lot of breweries aren't doing. Uh, what's releasing this week, you told us before, is the pre-prohibition era lager. Uh, we're drinking right now the nitro cold brew, cold brew black lager that you partnered with uh, New Harvest. And then you had your slushy beers as well this summer. So where do these ideas come from? How have you perfected stuff that no one's really making on the market? And, you know, what's the what's the backstory behind these beers? <laughs> I, I would say that it, it usually comes from a fever dream. But the reality is it's that... In, Mark can attest to this. It's, it's always a last-minute audible on me. Um, we'll, we'll start with a recipe, and I think this grabs some nuts. And I think part of it, and, and this is where it's more comfortable for me to do this than it is for him. Um, I'm, I'm very quick to be able to make a change to a recipe because I know exactly what's going to happen. Whereas Mark, he, he, he will look at the recipe, and he will follow my recipe to, to the letter. But when there's a change, it, it really to understand why the change and I've already gone through that process in my head and I need to explain it to him um, but in doing so he then gathers that knowledge and then carries that forward so part of it for, for these type of ideas really are, are just a general sense that we both love German beer we love lagers we love experimenting with flavors working with New Harvest was a no-brainer right I mean god they make incredible coffee and when we put together our, our beer with their coffee, it was insane. Um, we did the same thing with the Tamil too, right? Our, our, our um, heavily fruited uh, Berliner Weiss. And we couldn't keep that on tap long enough. I mean, we, we had, what was it, uh, four barrels worth, three, four barrels worth of it. And, Fast. Yeah, and, and within one to two weeks, we were gone. And that really is an amazing feat for us because when you you find something as, as fun to make like that with another partner like like uh, Rick and Ryan over at New Harvest, uh, Rick the owner, Ryan is the general manager of New Harvest. Um, you really enjoy the, the the net result of it because people are just going crazy over it. Now the frozen beers um, that came from the trip down to Florida hitting all of uh, the breweries in that local area, and every single one of them had a frozen beer machine. Um, why? Well, I mean, when you're dealing with 100% humidity and 98 degree <laughs> temperature, you need something to cool you off. But the other aspect of it, too, is that, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, is that a frozen beer, once it's created into the slushy form or the frat form based on the ingredients you put into it, no longer tastes like a beer. Great that you'll enjoy uh, a 12% beer, but my wife doesn't want to sit there and, and drink, a, you know, a fruit bomb. She'd rather have something that, that appeals to her taste, something a little bit more wine-like or a little bit um, more sour. And when we put those things on the frozen tap, man, it, it's it's really focused our direction in helping to serve another market. I will say it's also great after a day of golf too. Yeah. 90 degrees. <laughs> you know, let's go get a beer. And the second we walked in, we just talked about this beer, on yeah. the show. Frozen beer was the way to go. It's definitely a, a good refresher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's 8.30. It was so hot. 
shot not as good as I'd like to have been yeah. walking around trying to find balls. You know, I, I don't want anything else in the frozen beer. That's so <laughs> refreshing. That's um, great. Yeah, I mean, so it, I guess obviously the, a lot of innovation going on in, inside the, the four walls of brewing, and actually outside too, as we mentioned, you guys are working with other vendors around here, but just your personal favorites that you guys have made over the years. Something on tap now, if it's something you know, maybe that you did, maybe it was one of those experiments back in the day. Um, I mean, what's, what's a personal favorite for you? A couple of my favorite beers are ones that we have right now. So, um, we did a German Hells recently, which uh, I think came out great. I uh, was really happy with it. True to style in comparison with other ones I've had, which you know tried to do fairly frequently um, when we're brewing something for the first time. How true is it to style? And so I'm really happy with that. I think the response to it has been great. And then the black lager that we have on right now that really kind of drinks more like a stout than a black lager, but we lagered it um, under pressure and uh, I think it's I think it's delicious. I will say this tastes, uh, I can taste new. Good. Yeah, I know it's it's distinct, man. And it, it just adds to that another layer. Yeah, so those are a couple of my favorites, and we've got them on right now. Uh, Tattoo of Blood, which is a sour that we've done a few times, um, a hibiscus sour, has been a really good one for us. So yeah, you never know where it's uh, <laughs> where it depends. It's, yeah, it depends on the day. Right. Nice. I'd say for me, there's been a handful. Um, Battle Cow has always been uh, near and dear to me. I think that was the first beer that yeah. I certainly have in Providence. Yeah, that, that was a that was a great beer to make. It was fun to experiment uh, when when I in my pilot system, which was a was a ten gallon at home, just trying to to get the the ratios of you know uh, dextrose with Pops and, and the grains. Um, you know, we have multiple variations of Battle Cap Lactose. The original was one of my favorite ones, although it did have lactose. And there are those within the community that hate lactose, but there's something beautiful that lactose brings to the beer. Um, we've since removed lactose from, from Battle Cow and used more of the, the chemistry of, of um, to that nice, comfortable mouthfeel, this, this smoothness and creaminess. Um, what else? Uh, Tattoo of Blood is definitely one of my favorites. Um, not your parents' credenza. You know, that was a fun one to make, and that, that was a recipe I built with my dad. Um, and that was, it was it's very meaningful. Um, the Something to Feel, which was a Pilsner that we released earlier uh, in the summer. I think that by far was one of my um, all-time favorite uh, German-style lagers that I've, I've really loved. And then the Hellas and uh, the Black Lager are really up there for me as well. So we'll, we'll give you the chance to plug your team as well, right? And I thought what you said earlier was pretty profound, right? It's like, you know, they're not, my customers aren't hanging out with me at the end of the night, they're hanging out with the staff, yeah. right? So, so who else really is part of, team for you 
nice. But yep. it's, who else makes up? Uh, obviously, you don't have to shout out every individual necessarily. Oh, but oh um, yeah. so we've got we've got a, a handful of great folks. Uh, one of them. One of our staff had to go back to school. She's uh, she's back up in college. Alexa uh, Alexa Hanley, uh, great kid. Uh, she was recommended to us uh, by a mutual friend of mine. Uh, wonderful, wonderful kid who she really understood the beer process and could describe it even though she was 19 years old. Um, could really get down to explaining what the flavors you're going to. Kenzie Godley, she is also some of, she's a PC student and wonderful. She's a, a great personality. Um, Melissa, um, she is probably the most senior person here uh, in our bar staff that I really rely heavily on um, to help me kind of get a pulse of how customers are feeling, what they're, what they're asking about. Um, who else do we have? We have Aaron. Um, Aaron's a wonderful gentleman. Um, he has a great deal of knowledge of what he's doing. And um, is also one of those that gave me that great idea. I mean, it was his idea to come up and do the frozen coffee and black lager. I mean, that was that was you know, a, a no-brainer. And it was just like, oh my god, you know, I never thought of that. I, I completely, that completely went past me. Um, and it's his idea to say, you know, we're going to do the coffee one, and then we'll do a white, uh, a white, you know, white frozen, so you can do a black and tan. So, you know, stuff like that. So they're they are instrumental and key for for this brewery's success because they are the first line that our customers meet. Um, and they're the ones that the customers remember and come back to visit. It's not me. I mean, you know, I'm I'm always kind of still in awe. When somebody is happy to see me when I walk in in, in this place, it, it's just they're happy to see you because they think you're going to give them a free beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're right. the worst. That's the only the reason anyone wants to see you. Well, they, they're, they're absolutely beer. right. They will. Um, but you know, I'll be honest with you, it's it's still it's surreal in the sense that yeah, we've got this very nice location and it's a, it's turned out to be a very successful spot for us, um, and and we're very happy for it. But when somebody comes in that you know, knows me and, and, and says, hey, you know, I mean, it just, it, to me, it's still a very surreal experience to, to go from home brewing to, to be at this level and for someone to say, I've been following you for so long, your beer's awesome, and I'm like, uh, great, thanks. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you consume that and then, you know, without coming across as being aloof or, or conceited? Um, when you don't respond back, I mean, it's like I'm, I'm more than anything, you know, humbled to my core when somebody says something like that to me. How much brewing do you still do? Do you ever get back in the ring and, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, like Mark said, he, he has taken over the reins when it comes to the day-to-day -day brewing. But I will still come in on the brewing days and just oversee where he is. and um, Micromanage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um you know, support him where he needs. You know. That's a better yeah. Yes. You know, he well needs said. help going up the ladder. I'll, I'll support him. <laughs> um, it, you know. No, but I mean, you know, the, the, the aspects of opening this new location and, and has really taken me 
further away from the brewing process. I'm still very deeply involved, like Mark said. I still come up with the recipes, I, and I still test a lot of them at home. Um, but uh, I, I have found myself that I'm 30% I'm within the brewing part of it, and 70% is really now Mark doing the, you know, the heavy lifting, um, which is, you know, for me, the 70% that I spend here is to help promote And as we close out, I mean, it's been a busy summer. You have done a ton this summer. Just came back from a beer festival down at uh, Ragged Island. But what's coming up for the next couple of weeks as the summer closes out? And what's the rest of 2022 looking like? Yeah, so we're getting ready for our Oktoberfest um, celebration, which we're going to be starting it off on the official date of September 17th. Um, we're calling it uh, Astroberfest. Um, and that's in honor of my, my original puppy, um, Isabella, who um, I named early on in life Astro Mutt. And so this is uh, bringing her back for these events. Um, and, and we're going to be doing that on the September 17th and 18th. So we'll have two days of celebration. Um, and we're going to be working on a Marzen tomorrow, I believe, as well as a fest beer that we're going to be tapping when we, when we kick off our celebrations. Awesome. That's really cool. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see you know, how Providence Brewing evolves. And it seems like you guys are making uh, you know, all the right moves around here with all the I keep coming back to you know, a partnership for events. It's walking across the hallway, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's incredible that all these resources are available to you. It's yeah. so close. So it's uh, yeah. absolutely I've amazing. Lived, I've lived in Providence a long time, and it's still pretty remarkable to me the way this neighborhood has come back. This was fairly recently a part of town you wouldn't have wanted to be in after dark. Um, there would have been no reason to be down here unless you were looking for trouble. Um, and so... Is that what you do? <laughs> Look for trouble? In a previous life. Your switchblade and leather jacket. Given, given that Isco is across the street yep. and that Revival and Lost Valley Pizza are next door and all of the other tenants here in Farm Fresh and that folks can come down to Sims Avenue now and make an afternoon or an evening of it is definitely a place where we want it to be. I know when you were at our North Providence location. And even though people will travel for beer, of course, to destinations, there was absolutely zero foot traffic. That's the one great thing that this place has over that is all of the foot traffic and folks here for the farmer's market and Flea and Anti-Robot Club and all the other events at the Market Hall um, who see us subsequently and come and try our beer and hopefully we're turning them into fans. But I also want to make sure that I'm, uh, I call out one very important thing. We wouldn't be in this location, I mean, if it wasn't for the simple fact that when we were looking at this space or this building, um, had I not reached out to Sean Larkin next door at Revival and asked, would he be okay with us coming next door, um, you know, without his, his, uh, you know, his nod to, to saying, yeah, dude, come on in, um, it, it, we wouldn't be here. Uh, Sean has been an incredible friend, a mentor, um, a font of knowledge for us and me personally throughout the years. 
and he remains kind of one of those those great great people that I will always hold dear in my heart. Now, he really did have to give his blessing. I mean, the folks at Farm Fresh, the principals here, were hesitant to right. rent to us with them right next door, and how it might potentially negatively impact them. And, you know, to Sean's credit, he was happy to have us move in. I, you know, he certainly we had a great relationship with him. Yeah. Certainly realizes that I it think helps we complement each other quite well. I mean, helps to create a destination yeah. here, right? And it's uh, that to take that a step further. It's very similar to what we saw with the relationship with Moniker here on Earth. Yep. Right? It's right. <clears throat> now you get to hop around. Yeah, yeah you exactly. know, you get to spend the whole day here. Yeah, right? you start over there and come here, vice versa. Yeah. And Moniker here on Earth, Bayberry. I mean, you. you that's you another. Turn it into that's a another triumph. part of town, right? Yeah. Again, been here a long time. Every time I go up West Fountain Street, I can hardly believe it. You know, just. Wow, this is, a, this is a place where people want to go, other than just a bunch of automotive shops yeah. and, and you know, and out taking the words right out of Jeff Goodo's mouth. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's I was going to say it's also a testament to like the Rhode Island beer community as well. I mean, all the festivals we've been to, seeing, and then obviously now two years of doing interviews with you know brewers and the owners and stuff. The camaraderie and communication between everybody and seeing all over Instagram, all the collaborations that are being done and stuff. It's like, this is a, it's a, it's a friendly environment for breweries and the craft beer scene rather than other places across the country. Yeah. I mean, Monica wouldn't be there if beer on earth, you know, was okay with it. Right. And, and I don't think that would have happened before. Um, I think with the Bayberry, the, the beers on earth and the monikers with the revivals, with the ISCOs, with us, I mean, we've, all established that you know being in close proximity to one another doesn't hurt us it actually augments us it actually creates more of a destination a pleasure or you know to, to for folks to, to go out yeah that whole plaza the blind noodle and fearless fish company yep. and slow road it's just a, it's a great destination for the city and if you feel so compelled you're going to plan a fitness after and yeah, yeah. And good. Right. It all right. well same thing in north providence right i mean you could, you yeah. could have a beer and you can just kind of like burn off the carbs next door <laughs> Right, yeah. and if you you hurt yourself, you can get yourself adjusted over at the you know chiropractic. If you place. get into some trouble, the police station's right there on top. Right there, yeah. yeah. And if you needed glasses, well, you know, you had all that right, all of that. And if you were hungry too, McDonald's. I was gonna say, I guess all the farmers market when they're here counteracts the beer and pizza and coffee and muffins and, <laughs> and toffee over here. I guess it counteracts with oh the, the fresh yeah. vegetables that they have. In a few beers, awesome. you'll be like, yeah, you know, I could really use like a zucchini plate. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Come fall, this place is going to get jammed up again with the, the full farmer's market. I mean, that was the other part when we first come in here, we came in here, we were very heavily dependent upon the events that Farm Fresh was putting on. Um, but since summer started, we've been able to maintain and, and kind of grow our own um, our own following with our patio and all of the events that we've been working with other hosts to put together here. Um, on September 11th, we've got um, we've got an, uh, a yoga and beer brunch setting up with um, oh, Kelly's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, I think it's the yoga mafia. Uh, yoga mafia. Hold on, she's going to kill me. Can we dub that out? Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And we were, I, I got a suggestion once the, uh, um, what's the Tallulah's reopens oh, up? Oh, Maybe God. some sea salt lagers or Mexican hot mm. chocolate. Oh, I don't know. God. Well, I'm, I'm glad you say that because, uh, so the Zen Mafia. Zen Mafia. Um, Zen Mafia. There you go. So, it's not too far off. No, yeah, yeah. Zen <laughs> Mafia out of Johnston 
you know, they are going to be setting up shop here on the 11th on the hallway. They're going to be doing yoga, and then at, um, at 12 o'clock when we open our doors, we're going to have a brunch set up. So if you're interested, check out Zen Mafia and look at the event. Anyway, enough plugs there. Um, it's great that you said something about a, a spicy stout or, or, or you know, kind of a combination like that. Talking with Reds next door, Chef um, Chef Deja and um, uh, her husband, we you know we have talked a little bit about how do we do a nice barrel aged uh, hot sauce and then wow. take that once they've pulled that uh, hot sauce out of the barrel, you know do we do we put in a beer in, in the you know the, the, <laughs> the easy answer is duh yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what my eyes so, are yeah, yeah. there's a sauce. Is yeah, it's killer. We were yeah. able to use a few of their hot sauces a couple of months ago in a michelada mix. Uh, so we were making micheladas here with our lagers um, on some Sundays. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, closer to Cinco de Mayo, and I'm sure we'll do that again in the future. Yeah, Zen Mafia. Big. I'll, I'll plug their uh, Carolina Carolina barbecue sauce too. The yellow. Oh my god. Oh. I, I have yet to have. Uh, I, you know, so whenever um, Chef Deja gives me. Um, one of the, the, the things that she's working on. It doesn't make it far because by the time I get home, I've already opened up a bag of <laughs> chips and I've already consumed it. Um, so it's it's a it's a meal in of itself. Um, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity with them uh, to come up with some really some really fun stuff using their sauce, our beer, and then releasing it onto the uh, you know unsuspecting masses. I was gonna say, think about it too. You have the dairy farm and the toffee place. Oh my road. god! Yeah. Some stouts, some toffee stouts. I don't know. Benny over at Rice Farm, man. Yeah, Chef Pete with his toffee. Oh boy! See, they gotta open up a gym near here with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, <laughs> well, they need to make the hallways longer next time. Yeah. So that way, you know, you can sweat it off as you get yeah. to one spot to the other. Like the building a bit bigger just for marriage. So you do last. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Right no extra no business. There's just you know, let's yeah. make the hallways. Yeah. Make it harder to get. Suicides. To yeah. um, awesome stuff, guys. Thanks Thanks so much. Um, we'll give you the floor now. Where can customers drink your beer? Um, and where can they keep up with you guys on social media as well? Sure. So we're, we're available, obviously, here in our, in our tap house. Um, and we're located at uh, 10 Sims Ave inside the Farm Fresh building. Uh, unit 110 right next door to Reds and around the corner from New Harvest and across the street from Isco and next door to Revival and Lost Valley Pizza. Um, we're, uh, what was the other part of it? Social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that part. Uh, so we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, it's my PVDBC, so my Providence PVD. Brewing Company BC, and um, on uh, what's it? Uh, PVD BC on Facebook. Um, I don't do a lot of on Facebook except for eventing notification, but everything starts at Instagram and rolls out from there. Sweet, awesome. Well, we appreciate the time. Oh, and our website. Yes, Sorry, website. Yeah. yeah. So um, you can go to us on pvdbc.com or pvd.beer. I like, I like the dot beer. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. But we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for sharing the beer, sharing your stories, and uh, good luck the rest of the year. And we can't Thank wait you. to uh, keep stopping awesome. by. It was great seeing you. Awesome. Thank you.
And that was just Efren and Mark from Providence Brewing Company. We appreciate them hosting us, uh, showing us, you know, sharing their story, showing us around the brewery. Um, if you haven't checked it out, Sims Avenue, the Farm Fresh building, it is definitely a cool vibe. And the community, uh, the neighborhood, it's 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 really special. And it's, you know, I like the part of the conversation we had that um, a very populated part of Providence that is slept upon, I still think, is, you know, the neighborhood of Fountain Street. And we've already talked to Adam at Beer on Earth and uh, Brian and um, Jeff over at Moniker. And, you know, Bayberry is a great spot. But this little West End area, this Valley neighborhood, it's definitely the place to be between Isco, Revival, two two brands that we still need to have on the podcast. But they uh, they have a little special place brewing over here. So if you're in the area, check them out. And we appreciate their hospitality. Um, and not so, to mention Reds as well, too. Reds hot sauce. sauce. Tallulah's, New Harvest, Anchor Toffee, Wright's Dairy Farms. Um, hopefully come Tallulah's up. comes back soon. Yeah. They're finishing up. I peeked my head in when we were leaving, and they, they're building stuff. So exciting stuff in the Farm Fresh building and the Valley neighborhood. So that was a good beers and business section. We'll head to Balls, presented by Manscaped. As always, go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, your Balls will thank you later. It's one of our favorite tools. It's not holiday season yet. We're not trying to speed it up. But if you ever need a fall gift, clean up from the summer, Manscaped is the way to go. Or just treat yourself. Buy yourself the Lawnmower 4.0. Great products. We use them and we recommend that you use them too. Like I said, go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off and free shipping and handling. I have never heard of fall gift, but hey, I'm fucking on that wave. Quarterly. <laughs> I still quarterly gift. Might as well. Bonuses come in, rip them up. Hey, I'm I'm all for that stuff. Uh, into balls. Albert Pujols has been hitting a lot of them out of the park lately. And I will fully admit, the beginning of this year, I did not understand how close he actually was to the 700 home run milestone. And it was and, questionable. Yeah, it was very questionable because to go to take that a step further, I thought when he was done with the Angels that there was no – I thought the Cardinals were doing him a favor and they were saying – and they kind of were, but they I thought it was just, hey, you know – Maybe we'll play a couple of times. We can't guarantee anything, but we'll figure it out. And now he is a crucial part of this Cardinals run. Once again, are we in 2005? I don't know, but I, I don't know um, where this came from. I think he's what? 693. Now he's got seven left. No, 94. He had another, like, he's like six left. He's been on like this last like 10 game stretch. He's batting like over 300, over a thousand on uh, OPS, and he had like six or seven home runs. Like it's a crazy stretch. Oh, it is. It is 693. That was when he tied Bonds for that obscure record uh, yesterday. So wait, no, 694. Did he hit one today? Pretty. I think you might be jumping the gun on me. I thought I might be wrong, but I thought. They put up his stats, and it was like he's six away. Let's see. 
Pujols. Nice seven. Whatever. Um, well, what if that ends up being like, <laughs> like, all right, it's six homers or he had seven homers. Um, call me fucking crazy. I think he's going to do it. I think so. I think at the very least he passes A-Rod at 696. I think he's going to do it. The way he's been swinging the bat lately. I mean, shit, I'm almost tempted to say he's got another year in him. See, I think this is my this is my take. Um, Albert Pujols, if he does not hit 700, will play next year until he hits it. I don't think he's going to do like an – I don't think he's going to end the year not hitting the 700. So you think he's going to – he's not going to pull an A-rod? I don't think so. And I think the Yankees did – like the difference though with A-rod is he was obviously slumping like crazy towards the end of his career. And the Yankees decided to pull his plug like in – I think it was August – um, so there was still some like season left, but those reports came out that t- a couple teams reached out and said, Hey, you can hit the 700 with us. And he decided to, you know, say, no, I'm ending my career as a Yankee, which, you know, I thought was admirable, but yeah, Alex Albert- Rodriguez, the man of honor. Yes. Yeah. Well, I respect he got better. He's, he, that was a respectable move. I I'm with you. Yeah. It's just, I, I found it funny that that's the hill he wanted to die on. So. Well, also, if the playoffs counted, these home runs, right? I was just wondering that, and I really don't know. I think they do. I would not be shocked if they did. So, like, the Cardinals are posed for a deep playoff run. If I don't know what the odds are, if he hits the 700, I'm hammering yes. But this is – so I'm looking right now. Over the last 10 games, Albert Pujols has a 567 batting average, 1.3 slugging, seven home runs, and 14 RBIs. Only three other players in MLB history have matched all four of those marks in a 10-game span. Barry Bonds, Larry Walker, and Willie Mays. And those were guys in their prime, not Albert Pujols now. Larry Walker was also – he's a Hall of Famer too. Yeah. Um, It's one of those things where I obviously – root for the Yankees through and through. And I still think that this year is their world series team. And we'll talk about, you know, contenders and pretenders in a little bit, but I kind of love this Cardinal storyline of, yeah, I, I really am struggling to not like, I can't stand the fucking Cardinals, but I love what they're doing this year. It kind of, it's obviously very different, but the Yankees core for, winning it in you know 99 or 98 99 2000 and then winning it again in 09 obviously very different scenarios but yadi Pujols and wainwright all won it in what was the last one oh seven uh 11 yeah no 11 11 was on the red sox one right cardinals world series let's see it was oh they did win in 2011 why did i think that was the Sox? i oh, know the Sox were 04 07 13 and 18 yeah 
Yeah, the Sox won in uh, 2011. No. And they, Cardinals. Cardinals won in 2011. That's what I, yeah, I meant the Cardinals. And they beat the uh, they beat the Rangers. So, they, again, if they can win a it. World Series. I mean, obviously, Wainwright and Yachty stayed with the team. Pujols got the bag with the Angels. But Here's if they can win. bonus points. Can you name me the MVP that year? Cardinals. Obviously. Position? He, I believe, played third at the time. He does not play anymore. He played for the Cardinals from 09 to 13. Then went to the Angels and then the Pirates. He was pretty good. This is a name that, like, you might not think of instantly. Like, I don't know if I would get this, like, right off the bat. I have no idea. David Freese. Really? He was pretty fucking good that postseason. He hmm. They had an excellent team that year. Let's see who else was. Uh... Wow, Mike Napoli played on the Rangers at that point. Wow. Uh, Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn won a World Series. He was he won a game. He won Game Three for them. Shut the fuck up. Wait, who pitched in Game Seven? If it was him, no, it was Chris Carpenter. I would have quit Who's watching on that game. squad. They were good, man. They had uh, Alan Craig was kind of sick. Lance Berkman, an old Lance Berkman was on that team. Um, yeah, they, they had a really, really good team. And then Pujols Matt Carpenter was not on the team. Yeah, that's right. But they, so, so here's what the deal was. Because it was either you or somebody that asked about, like, did Matt Carpenter win a ring? He came up in 2011 as a rookie. But he didn't accrue enough service time to, to suit up. So he couldn't play. He, he traveled with the team and wore his jersey and sat in the dugout. But he wasn't on the roster technically. So he doesn't, quote unquote, he's not a World Series champion, but they gave him a ring. That's like a stupid cool. rule. How dumb is that? That's a stupid but rule. I'm happy the Cardinals gave him a ring, though. They're like, yeah, you wore your jersey like that you're getting a ring. You won yeah. it for us. Wow, I'm looking at Jaime Garcia was on that team too. That's right. Yeah. And that was remember when the Yankees traded for Jaime and Lance Lynn in the same year? Yeah, different teams. Because Jaime was what? He was uh was he a twin? I think he was a twin. Shit, Rafael for call. <laughs> um God damn. Matt Holiday starting in left field. Lance Berkman and right. Yeah. What a squad. Pete Cosma, uh, Nick Punto, Skip Schumacher. So I guess to bring it back, <laughs> pool hole 700. We yeah. agree on that. Now, I guess this is a good segue into contenders and pretenders because I got to, before we do that too, the line on your, you'll be elated to know that yes. On does he hit 700 is plus 800 right now. Shut the fuck on what book? Uh, it's that sports line. I think it's on action network. No, it's on sportsline.com, yeah. I need to hammer that. <laughs> There's got to be another book to find. That we plus can find. 800? It's plus 800. Even after he hit 693, it's plus 800. Vegas doesn't think that he's going to hit it. I would assume that means just regular season. 
I've even thought. There's just no way in hell he doesn't hit it. I mean, there's a way in hell that he doesn't hit. He's 42. I mean, he could like. How many games are left for the Cardinals? Uh, Well, I mean, at least 35, 40, 35, probably. 30 to 35 games. I think he hits it. And that's a homer every three games. He hit seven in the last 10. I know, but you that's you gotta think. I hate to be the negative person, but like because I want him to do it so bad. But I just don't know. You already know the Cardinals are making phone calls around the league, being like, who do you got pitching? Make sure he throws it over the middle. Here's 50k. You're gonna call up the Dodgers and be like, hey, yeah, I know uh old team. Huh? Old team. This is old team. Did he play there last year? Yeah. So the the that was like the Angels DFA'd him because he was wow. atrocious. Yeah. And then the Dodgers picked him up and he had this little spark and he even played some games at first, which was insane. And they yeah, had, he didn't have to move. Yeah. Um and yeah, he was a nice little midseason ad. And then the Cardinals were like, hey, let's have this farewell tour with you. So they're put, they've got three against the Braves this weekend. You think they're going to be like, yo, fucking Max Freed, can you throw him a fastball over the middle instead of like trying to catch the Mets? I think I'm doing that. I think he hits it. That's my take. I, respectable. I will. I'm I'm getting in on it now too because I want I want to be part of history. Okay, okay. tenders and pretenders back. We're back there now. Um. All right. You you want to go? You want to give either of the two contender or a pretender? How do you want to do this? We can do you pick a contender and I pick a contender. Just like anybody that like on the bubble, right? So the way we've done contenders and pretenders in the past is uh, mostly with football, but like anyone that's kind of suspect, right? Like, you know, middle of the pack, right? We've got to identify them is basically like a contender or pretender so like fuck the i'm looking at the yeah let me yeah yeah go ahead let me look at the standings which we just which we just looked at but (laughs) why not pull them up again why not pull it up so all right league overall right now you have your it's the astros yankees and uh guardians and your wild card is tampa Toronto, Seattle, Baltimore, two and a half back. So I think the Mariners make it. I hope I will see that. Here's the thing. Like, I think the wild card in the AL is pretty stacked and it would be hard to say the Rays and the Jays miss it. I really just want the Orioles in there. I want the Orioles in there. But to be completely honest, in the American League, the ALCS is Yankees-Astros, and you cannot tell me otherwise. I mean, holy shit, I just looked at the Blue Jays' schedule. They are massacring the Red Sox this week. Then they have the Angels, Cubs, and Pirates. So you have to think they're making up. And then they play the Orioles at a pretty crucial time. So, and then they play fucking Rangers after that. 
And then the Rays and then the Orioles again. I mean, that seems like that seems like they're going to do some winning in, the, in this next stretch. Yeah, but they said that last last year and they blew it at the at the last month. Yeah, and then they also can their manager too. So, I, I mean, do you disagree with my take that the ALCS is Yankees Astros? Uh, no, I don't disagree. I think like I think that has to be the case. I yeah, I mean, you play the game on paper 100 million percent. That's the ALCS, you know. Has to be. I just don't I don't want I don't want to discount the facts or the 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 thought of something wild happening. Like I don't know, does do two pitchers get hurt on either one of the teams? All right, does a key bat go down? I don't know. If you play the game right now, Yankees are Yankees and Astros are going punch for punch in the ALCS. Absolutely. I think it's a game seven again. Yep. And, it's, and um, we already saw like, this season, like, yes, the Astros have more wins against the Yankees right now, but they weren't blowouts. These were pound for pound, very good baseball games. These were mostly pitchers duels. It was pitchers duels. And again, Justin Verlander is pitching like a 2011 MVP that he was, you know, or Cy Young. He is crazy. He is crazy. The Yankees reinforcements are coming don't get me wrong they've been playing like dog shit since the all-star break but three big wins against an alex manoa and the surging blue jays and two against the mets right now i'm bought back in Uh, yeah i'm I'm bought back in oswaldo cabrera is wild what a nice little young pickup his bat's not there yet but i want to pull out this stat oswaldo cabrera already has Five defensive runs saved in right field. That's ninth among that's ninth most among all right fielders in MLB. He doesn't even have 10 games played at the MLB level yet. Holy shit. Guy's a stud. Yeah, he's gonna be good. I like the way he talks to the media. I like the uh I like his vibe. You know, he's just like an upbeat dude that's happy to be there. And he's like, fuck it, I'm not playing with any risks. I'm just gonna go out there and swing the bat. I like his vibe. So Yankees. Astros, ALCS, swinging over to the NL, which, to be honest, I have no idea who's going to win. So your top three are Dodgers, Cardinals, and Mets. Your wild card is Braves, Phillies, Padres, Brewers one game out. I think anybody can make it to the World Series from that. I do. I have a feeling now we're rooting for, I know you are, I am. I'm rooting for subway series, world series. That's what I want. That's what I love. I think the Dodgers are playing insanely well. Do I think that they're a regular season team every year? Yes. I don't think they can get it done always in the postseason. The Mets are too far talented to not make a run, but don't sleep on these Braves. I think in another life I'd be in um and I think in another life I'd be an Atlanta Brave fan. I was about to say why do I feel like the Braves can do it again? They are they not only can they do it again this year, they're going to be able to do it again for the next 10 years. Yeah, cuz I mean they've we were talking about this today. They've locked up Swanson, they've locked not up yet. and Austin Riley, uh, Acuña, um 
I think Darno's there for a while. Ozzy Albies is there for a while. This Michael Harris dude who might win Rookie of the Year. Apparently, he's uh, he's he's locked up. I'm pretty sure Eddie Rosario's locked up too. Um, yeah, that's that's monstrous. That's scary. They are a talented squad, and again, despite any of their woes this year, and Acuna coming back late. They hold a 10-game lead on the first wildcard game. They're a game and a half out behind the Mets. You know who, and I think this is a good transition to my, like, to get back to the contenders and pretenders topic. I'm going to call a pretender a very big team that I was like, what the fuck are you doing at the trade deadline? The Milwaukee Brewers. Pretend. They were in first place, and they traded Josh fucking Hader, and now they're on the outside looking in. And they yeah, but it. Josh Hader also has a 16 ERA as a closer. Yeah, that's I. Now the Padres, I'm not dismissing that the Padres suck right now, and they're only one game ahead of the Brewers for that last spot. But I still think that is unforgivable. And if I were a Brewers fan, I would be livid. Oh, I'd be pissed. I'd be first place. And now the Cardinals have a five and a half game lead. That's pretending. Yeah. No, that was a question. I mean, again, in hindsight, it's 2020 because it's similar to what the Yankees just did with Jordan Montgomery. They traded away him and now he's pitching like a Cy Young. Yeah. He just had a complete game. I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about that. You know, Shit. but it's like, that's one of those things. It's like, a, it's a head scratcher. Hopefully it pays out in the long run, but that is a momentum swing for the Brewers that they did not need. It made no. everyone feel antsy. I don't think the now Brewers. Taylor Rogers, who they were pumped at. They're, they're like, no, we got Taylor Rogers back. He sucks now too. Yeah. So the Brewers are, it's one of those teams that you don't really hear much of. Like Christian Yelich, I forgot he's a player. Um, yeah, Yelich is having a very mid. This came up with somebody a few weeks ago. This is a uh, this is a very mid year for him, out of nowhere. So I would say the Brewers are pretenders. I think the Phillies are pretenders. I can't make up my mind there, but I get it. Like they're a good team. They have pieces. I just don't think that pound for pound, the power rankings in the NL are are. Dodgers, Mets, Cardinals, Braves. Yeah, I, I don't think I think the Phillies have a good pitching staff. That's about it. I think uh, Wheeler, Nola, those are two of the best pitchers in the league. Um, Speaking of the Phillies, is Didi Gregorius still a free agent? I think he is. Wow. Uh, I don't really want him. No, I'm not saying. No, no, I'm not saying for that. I'm just surprised. Uh, I, I feel like somebody would have picked him up. Yeah. Wow. Back to Yelich real quick. Nine homers, 39 RBIs. What a shitty year for him. That's like, I'm sorry, you play 117 games and you're like two years out from almost winning the home run title and potentially the triple crown. That's fucking embarrassing. Wasn't he an MVP? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. He had something. So the NL, my, yeah, the NL, my contenders are Dodgers, Mets, Cardinals, Braves. Yeah, content. I right. I'll pick. Uh, yeah, I guess my mid team that that I uh, will pick for a contender is the is the Braves as well. I don't want to say mid. They're good. All right, they're just good. They're just in the middle. Good. Yeah. 
Um, oh, AL. I'm going to pick another pretender in the AL. Um, let me see here. I think... Wow, the White Sox really suck this year. Just as a side note. Man, they're bad. I have mine if you want. Yeah, go for it. I think the Rays are pretending. I think right now I I would say you're right. Even though they're, you know, I just, I, I can never get a read on the Rays. It's like they're never incredible. Like it will be questionable if, um, who's that pitcher that long hair kind of looks like a Lord Farquaad. Um, <laughs> he got injured last year. Shane Boz? No, 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 no. Who's their fucking ace? Oh, um, Glasnow. Like, if he comes <laughs> back, that could be questionable. That could be dangerous. I, I do agree with that. But yeah. they're just a weird team. They're constructed weird. You know, they're kind of an afterthought in my mind. They're really not a scary team. So I think they're pretending. I think the Blue Jays are pretending. I just cannot see the Blue Jays making a massive push. I really, I just really don't. Like they have good young pieces, but they're just, they're constructed so weird. It's like their pitching is very good. Their batting's very good, but I just cannot see them making a run. I don't know if it's inexperiences or what. I I don't know. I, I see them as pretenders. Guardians or twins. I'm not I, buying uh, any. I'm not buying think, any stock yeah. in anybody in the AL Central. Cleveland's ever. pretending. Uh, I'm putting the cards on the table. I think the Twins are actually a little bit better, but I think Cleveland's pretending. So, like I said, my two teams, my ALCS, my contenders, Yankees, Astros. That's it. Yeah, I say. To unclog the the wild card here, if I had to pick one contender, one pretender, Blue Jays, I think, contend. And I'm going to say something outrageous. I think the Mariners are pretending, too. Oh, yeah, the Mariners. Everybody calls that it's so hip to love the Mariners. And God damn it, I love J-Rod. Like, I, he's going to be really good. And I hope he has a long, long, long career with them. But God damn it, I look at the... The rest of this roster, besides maybe like Ty France, who's having a good year, um, I, I guess you call it Sam Haggerty, who's hurt right now, having a good year. He's hitting three ten in fifty seven games. Um, the Mariners are built just to make the postseason to finally beat this drought. Yeah, I mean that's it. Suarez is having not so bad of a year. They're not a World Series team. I think they're just stringing it along. How the fuck's Robbie Ray doing? Eh, not bad. Not not bad, but you know, it's just like the fact that they had to give up three of their top five prospects for Luis Castillo, who again is a good pitcher, but like he's not a fucking Cy Young winner. He's been slaying it lately. He needed to change the senior out of the Reds and the Yankees missed out, but I don't think he's worth three of the top five prospects for a guy who's going to leave after next year. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Robbie Ray's doing good. That uh, that Logan Gilbert kid is actually having a nice year. But that's, I mean, I look at this and I don't know. Does does Adam Frazier 
get you who's hitting what 245 i mean i'm not like uh you can point at the yankees averages and be like you guys all suck but like adam frazier jp crawford getting you there i don't think so and i you know castillo starts a game robbie ray starts a game gilbert starts a game where the fuck do you go after that pretend land chris flexen Seven and nine, one point four whip. Marco Gonzalez, one point four whip through four oh eight ERA. They're just I'm out. I'm I'm so out on the Mariners, and they still have to make the playoffs. I know they're because again, I think the Orioles are pretending, but their story like their storyline right now is pushing them to the last wild card spot. Yeah, so I think it's. I think we're not talking about the fact that like when we started the baseball season and they were doing all these projections, it was looking like three ALEs teams were going to make the wild card spots and it was going to be the Yankees, the Rays and the Red Sox with the Blue Jays winning the division. Now, obviously it's not set in stone yet. The Yankees have a nice eight, eight and a half game lead. They have to, you know, get back to their winning ways, but Say in a perfect world, Yankees obviously win the American League East. Blue Jays and Rays are still up there. That third wildcard team could be the Orioles, and no one would have expected it. And I also thought it was funny, too. We're shitting on the Red Sox, who are 60 and 62, I think. Everyone in our division has 60 games, 60 wins. Not No other division has that. So even though the, the Red Sox are playing 500 baseball, they're still better than some of the bottom barrel teams. Yeah, 60 and 64. I mean, that puts them fourth place in the AL Central. That puts them third place in the AL West. Fourth place in NL East. That <laughs> puts them in third in the NL Central. Yep, it puts them fourth in the NL West. So, I mean, they – yeah, that's uh, – I mean, they're still – they've still got a losing record for sure. But, yeah, I get it. And who knows what it could have been if they were healthy. Uh, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. Could yeah, have but excuse me. It's like the same with the Yankees. Same with any team. The Rays. If the Rays were healthy. The White Sox were healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. If no. Larusa was not there, Larusa, he's got. They got to can him instead of intentionally walking guys on one two. Bro, what a no, wild move this year! What a wild move. It's it's and it's not even like it was a one time thing. He did it. This is a it's second multiple time times. And like Jason Benetti, the play by play guy, he's like, okay, we've heard this before. I've seen it. I still don't know what the hell he's doing. Like, what are you? Uh, one and two. And then he's taking plays from fans. I is he that out of touch? I I think Larusa like. I think he pretends like he doesn't hear any of the negativity, but secretly knows all the negativity, like negativity. Like he's the type of guy that asked one of his players like to make him a Twitter just so he can like read the hate, even though he doesn't know how to use Twitter. Yeah. But the fact that like a fan behind home plate is screaming, put, put in this guy as the runner. Like, what are you talking about? And it worked. Oh, shit. Yeah. I and he's like, he's I like, take him out. He's like, oh, put him in. He's like, that was my idea. And it's like, 
you are are you kidding me? Like look at the field. Look at who's on your bench. Wild. Um Jose Abreu. What's he doing this year? He is he's in 310. Wow. Tim Anderson was having a nice little year too. Yeah, I think he got hurt. Uh, is it in 301? I mean, the Sox have four guys, five guys that are hitting over 290. Yeah, their pitching just got awful. Giolito, Jesus Christ. What a terrible year he had. Got overshadowed by Dylan Cease. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they got to can his ass. Because I never liked him beforehand, and I sure as shit don't like him now. Yeah. That's talking Tony LaRusa. Um, before we wrap up, did you see the Manti Teo documentary yet? Very good. Feel bad. Sick. You feel bad for the guy because it, it truly derailed his career. I didn't realize that. I, thought, I just thought he sucked. But it was so much emotional shit that he was still working through. Like, he definitely didn't perform well in the NFL, don't get me wrong, but to go from a first-rounder to a second-round knocks you off the confidence. And then every locker room he was in, he looked. they made him seem like he was a pariah, you know? Yeah. He was... He probably he, will be. I mean, like, he's probably fit enough to come back. I mean, he's not even 30, but... He was a, he was a, a, a Heisman finalist. I know. Yeah. He's uh, what is he? He's 31. He just turned 31. So yeah, that was crazy. Cause they were showing the Heisman stuff and I'm like, well, I mean, he obviously doesn't win. That was Manziel's year, but, but he was in Notre Dame was in the national championship that year. Yeah. They got rinsed by Bama. That he year. did get rinsed, but he, it, it's definitely a big, what if, and you know, all these years having a documentary when it first came out, like that they were going to make this, I'm like, is it really? I'm like, how much of a story needs to be told? You know, he, he got catfished, but it, it truly was deeper. And, you know, you, you, you feel for a guy like that. And hopefully, you know, he has recovered emotionally from it. I mean, it, he definitely still seemed bothered by some of the topics, not in a bad, like not bothered, like he couldn't share. Like it was just like, it still is on his mind, but. I will say biggest curveball i have had in watching any documentary over the past few years was seeing renaya tuyasa sopo being a woman that was like when she sat down i go i like i go don't even fucking tell me that this is this is the man that that did it how funny though was it like when you know the uh the catfish was saying that like like they were providing Manti Teo like the plays. Which is like, oh yeah, you have to read the offense like this. Oh yeah, she's like, oh we uh we won because of a defensive effort. It's like, what they fucking told him to make a tackle, clog up the run lanes. I could tell him that. Yeah, it was funny. But... That was pretty funny. Yeah, she's texting him. Oh, yeah, you know they're they're really good. They pound the run aggressively. I don't know. I mean, I can't wait for. I 
I'm a big doc guy. I'm a big documentary guy. I like them. The other ones I got to watch. The the Fall of And One looked interesting. Um, there's a couple of the untold ones that I would like to to rip through. Well, they're making a documentary about the Team USA 08 Olympics. Oh, the what the uh, NBA Dream Team they called, or was that the no? no the Dream Team was '96. The '08 was D Wade, LeBron, Melo. The ones that the, that was the big debate whether they should call themselves the Dream Team. That's yeah. It. Yeah, that's crazy. I would like to watch that one. The but captain was good. Yeah, I'm almost done with that. It was like, I don't know. I feel like they. They could have did they could have did different parts differently. I just yeah. feel like the story was kind of shuffled and I mean I thought the A-Rod stuff was interesting. It was like, cool it, to, it was cool to hear it from like years later and like they I don't know if like I mean Jeter came on uh the A-Rod cast with Michael K. So that yeah. was cool to see. But again, Jeter was one of my favorite players, will always be one of my favorite players. I have the utmost respect for him. I, you know, we all idolized him as a kid. I think he's got to get over the shtick of like, okay, what do you, what, like he just got social media and he's oh, like too, he's, made him. he's too cool to go to old timers day. Fugazi ass. Like Paul O'Neill just got his number retired and you couldn't come. Like you're not running a team anymore. In his defense. I don't want to fucking go. I wouldn't have went to Old Timers Day either. Like, this was the first year I didn't go in a while because they didn't play a game. And th- that's not why he didn't fucking go. Why didn't they play a game? Did you not hear about this? This is no. a big thing. They, uh, they just didn't want to play a game. They're like, oh, too many old guys. You know, it's COVID, blah, blah, blah. So they had half the people, like, back. Like, Nick Swisher, I'm pretty sure, wasn't there. Um. That's my favorite part of it where, you know, you get, dude, I went on my birthday many years ago and Hideki Matsui also shares my birthday. And this motherfucker gets up there and cranks a grand slam into the second deck. It's unbelievable. If they're worried about the heat with the older people, they should have it in May. Right. I mean, that, that is the simple solution. But it's not even like, why? If you're too old to play, just don't. Yeah, just show up. <laughs> like Mickey Rivers, good for him. He's like 80 years old, fucking chasing down balls in center. Like I would kill to see an A-Rod Jeter old timers day. That'd be sick. A-Rod yeah. should pitch. Bernie Williams and CeCe and Brett Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's a missed opportunity. Gary Sanchez. <laughs> Kevin Euclid. Yeah, that would be sick. Chris Carter. Dude, at this point, turn around. Even Cano. Cano. What is, like, the, like, what is the requirement for Old Timers Day? Like, what's the bare minimum to be considered an old, like... It's subjective. It's whatever the Yankee project manager says. He's like, Nick Swisher obviously won a World Series, and he was there for a second. 
I'm trying to think of the most obscure guy that went to I mean Phil Hughes was gonna go. Like could Tanaka go? I'm sure if they invited him back, he would say yes. Like could Ellsbury technically go? Yeah, oh yeah. He's not under contract. Interesting. I don't think there's a rule like, oh, you need to be out of the league. Maybe there's like loose guiding principles, but do they have to I shave? Think do they have to shave their facial hair? No. <laughs> Imagine. Beards. That'd be so funny. Say, hey, you gotta you have to come back and cut your hair and shave your beard. My God. That would be Jesus Christ. I remember Bo- I want Boone to play in one one of these days because he's gone out there. He's trotted his ass out there. And the same with Girardi when he was the manager. They trotted him out. He lined up on the foul line, and that was all. I would love to see Girardi versus Boone. Well, Girardi got a new job. You see that? Where is he? It's an analyst of the Cubs. Really? I was very happy to see that. What does that even entail? Like a television analyst? Just the color guy for Boog, Shiambi. Wow. On Marquee Sports Network. He played for, for some He played for the Cubs, right? Yes, he was a very good Cub. Yeah, he was kind of nice. I always wish he managed the Cubs. He should have. I, I honestly think. He, don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it out there. I would not, I would not, uh, I think David Ross is definitely on the hot seat. Well, I don't think it's really his problem. I think it's just like, like he can't, I don't care who's managing this team right now. Like with the Cubs there, no one's, no one can pull them out. What of about them. last year? Um, I don't know. I don't know what happened last year. Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. Yeah, well, I know. I'm Doc saying Peterson, like, I, I don't know why that team collapsed. I just think it was they hit a bad streak. Well, it was also the Ricketts coming out and saying, like, hey, we're not going to sign these guys. Like, he, they said that yeah. in the year. And then it, it set the, the tone for everybody to be like, fuck, this, like, this might be the year because they're all on contract years and blah, blah, blah. I just think... How the heck did that core all line up to have contracts up at the same time? I think Bryant and uh, well, it's similar to like what the Baby Bombers would have been, like <laughs> like Tyler Austin, <laughs> <laughs> Greg Bird. Ugh. Where's uh, what's Greg Bird's uh, what is he doing right now in AAA? Probably awful. I don't fucking care what Greg Bird's doing. He's on the squad. I know. He's getting platooned at first base, probably, in Scranton. He's on the squad. He hit a homer the other night, and they're like, Bird's back. I'm like, oh, god damn it. It'll be the World Series where they're like, let's bring up the kids to give them some experience, and Greg Bird, what could have been? Yeah. That we're really not that far out from his monster home run in that 2017 that's that's like five years ago that's not bad that was pretty cool that was one of the most cool yankee home runs i think i remember like is that that indeed sad i can tell you 
like David Justice's home run in 2000. I could tell you Hideki Matsui's in the World Series. And then I can tell you like Greg Bird in 28 or 2017 um, and fucking Lyle Overbay. Clanking it off the uh, the second, like the third deck. And I can't tell you really like more famous Yankee homers. Like those are just the ones that stand out. The DD won that series too. That was sick. Yes. It was, was just a, like was the day that Severino got shelled the first yeah, inning. Just the commentary, the camera quality, the atmosphere, everything. I think it was Bob Costas calling that game too. Just like iconic. Wow. I think Ron Darling was in the booth. I thought, yeah, I'm pretty sure Darling was. Like, it's one of those weird things. It was, yeah, probably Darling and Dennis Eckersley. And uh, and it was either Costas or somebody else doing play-by-play. I can't wait for fall baseball. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to sit on my ass in the cold and watch the Yankees struggle to beat a team they should. Don't say that. Well, just struggle. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't say lose. Just struggle. I can't wait to sit through a game of like, God damn it, it's one nothing. They can't. The bats fucking need to wake up. It will happen. We'll be good. We'll be good. And that's our show. That's the show. That's episode 97. Uh, went from a nice conversation about beer to Manti Teo and everything and anything in between. That's all from us. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.